I'm Alan Barr, here with my friend Jim Pinto for Act 3, a podcast about action movies and what makes them work, what makes them suck, and why we love them even when all of the above is true. So, this is our first episode. We're trying a new format here. Jim, how are you now? I'm I'm good. I'm good. The mu- music's exciting. Yeah, it really, uh, yeah, really gets it going there. So, what movie are we starting with today? We're starting with uh, just one of the worst of the worst, in my opinion. Maybe you liked it, but Bad Boys. I okay. do not like Michael Bay, um, but there there are a couple of gem moments in this movie. Sure. Uh, but the rest of it, I just think, is a waste of energy and time. Okay. So, prior to this podcast, I had never actually seen Bad Boys. Right, right. I was shocked by that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's a gaping hole in my action movie uh repertoire, I suppose. Uh just due to age and timing and how I grew up. So, it was uh, I was aware of it. I was aware of the, you know, the what you going to do catchphrase. <laughs> um and I was aware, of, you know, Martin Lawrence and uh, Will Smith directed by Michael Bay, obviously. Yeah. And I was aware that it was homaged in Hot Fuzz. So I was aware. Hot Fuzz Fuzz comes afterwards. Right. Hot Fuzz homages to. Oh, homages to. Yes. I'm sorry. I misheard what you said. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Along with a bunch of other movies like that, obviously. But uh, so this was a this was something that was a bit of a new thing for me seeing this movie. Did you like Uh, it? Uh, I, I'm squarely on the, I didn't hate it fence, I think. Sure. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'd rush out to watch it again, but I'm not upset that I watched it. I think. I will actually sit down and watch it. I think about every six or nine months or so. Um, just something else for that, that one scene at the end, near the end. Sure. So let's, uh, you know, maybe we should lay out what the goal of act three as a podcast is. So, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. So I was, so, you know, we were talking about action movies one day and we realized we have a lot of fun podcasting together and we enjoy it and we should do something that wasn't game related, which is our day jobs. Right. And we both like action movies and talking about them. Yes. And it just kind of felt like a natural, let's talk about storytelling in a tangential way with sort of a hobbyist perspective on this medium. But and you've there written are, screenplays. Yes, I've written four. None of them are action movies, but I would like to write an action movie, I think. But, I mean, there's such a glut of them. Yeah. So why do you think that is? I To me, they're not the cheapest movie to make. Explosions are expensive. But they're easy to write because you're not having to fill 120 pages. You're only filling about 80 because you mm. can write. Chase scene happens here. Right. And then you leave it to the stunt department and the director to figure out what the chase looks like. Gotcha. So for for those who don't know, one page of a movie script roughly translates to one minute, 90 seconds of on screen time. Yeah. Depending on how dialogue and set heavy it is. Right. Right. So uh, an 80 minute movie would be roughly 80 pages, maybe 70. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, Bad Boys was a early 90s movie-ish, 94, 95, right? Yeah, yeah. 
around then? Uh, stars Martin Lawrence, Will Smith, Tia Leone. Jonathan uh, Saley from NBA is in the movie. He plays the guy with the glasses hacking the computers at the end. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I thought he had looked familiar. Yeah, yeah, that's who he is. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, it's directed by Michael Bay. The screenplay is by um, a series of writers who mostly write action movies. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any of them have really done much in the last, you know, uh, two decades, really. And and knowing Michael Bay, there was probably a script um, supervisor writer that was on set as well, but didn't get any credit because they're having to fix things at the last minute. Uh, Michael sure. Bay has a very specific way in which dialogue is approached in his films. And this is the beginning of that problematic manner in which he makes talking head alpha males yelling at each other films. Okay. So Michael, Michael Bay has a bit of a reputation as an action movie guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think a bit of might be me underselling it just a titch, but <laughs> it, it is what he's known for. Yeah. So let's, I, I, something tells me we're going to spend a lot of this episode knocking Michael Bay. So maybe we should start with the good stuff he does. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Go do you. So do you want to start? <laughs> I, I really liked that pumping iron movie he did about those two guys in Miami. I cannot remember the name of pain the movie. and gain with pain the rock and, and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I really liked that one. I thought it was a little more grounded, a little more subdued. Sure. Um, and you really got to love and hate those guys. Um, right. But the, the real life story behind it is gruesome and horrible. And sure. you want nothing but death for the, the perpetrators behind it. But the movie makes it a little bit more palatable and sanitized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes it easier to watch. It's sure. I think it's a good movie. So one thing I always appreciate Michael about Michael Bay is he really knows how to move the camera during an action scene. Like he's he 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 seems to have this innate understanding, and it, it's almost become a trademark of his of sort of that swooping action movie shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and I, I would argue he's probably the one who's perfected it the most. Um, yeah, he has a, he has the same bag of tricks that he goes to a lot and there are times he's moving the camera and he should just stop it. There are most of the transformers movies come to mind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my favorite shot in bad boys, which we'll get to, um, the camera is still, and it's, it's perfectly placed. It's a perfect angle. And, uh, it's one of the most creative things he's ever done in a film. And so I really like it for that moment. But his the, his need to move the camera all the time really hurts your understanding what the action is that you're seeing. Because you, you never know who's where who's where in relation to anybody. It's, it's the classic critique of 90s American action movies and 2000s American action movies when compared to Kung Fu or Usha movies. Yeah. Where the camera is still and you get to see the action unfold clearly. Right. Right. So bad boys is really his first big successful movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The one that really put him on the map. Um, I'm trying to remember if he, what he did before that, to be honest. And I don't, I, I think he worked on 
as a as like a camera assistant for some of the uh I, I feel like he was on something to do with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh oh, he was an intern for Lucasfilm on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow, that long ago. Yeah, he would have been what, 15 then, 16, something yeah. like that probably. Yeah. Yeah. And then he did commercials. I remember he talked about doing Coke commercials and stuff for the Red Cross and things like that. How he ended up with his style is anyone's guess. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting trajectory for sure. Yeah. All right. So bad boys, Jim, what you going to (laughs) do? What I am going to do is fast forward to the last 15 minutes. (laughs) Um, because I actually like the little, the street chase. That's not too bad. Sure. Um, but I really like, and I'm just going to say it, the explosion inside the plane, inside the hangar, when that guy's on fire, flying backwards through the air and the money's going everywhere. That shot is just, I've never seen anything like it. And I will cue it up just to see that explosion and Mm -hmm. then. The, the little chase at the end with the Porsche against the AC Cobra. Yeah. Yeah. It's a so, kit. It's a kit car, but it's, a, well, you know, you, you're not going to blow up a real Cobra. Come on. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so the basic plot is we have, uh, we have Will Smith and Martin Lawrence as two narcotics detectives in Miami PD. Uh, some heroin goes missing. I think it's heroin. It is heroin. It doesn't go missing. It gets stolen from the police department, from the evidence locker. Right. And and they have to recover it, right? Yeah. They believe it's an inside job. And and sort of the the initial thing, they kind of go with, oh, the heroin's gone. It's clearly stolen. Yeah. So go find it. And and that's sort of the the, the inciting crux of our scene and our our yeah. our movie here. Yeah, and I mean it could at this point it could have been anything. The plot could have been thing goes wrong and one woman knows Tia Leone. She knows where what's going on. Right. She saw this murder go down that's related to the missing heroine. And right. we're already seeing a hallmark of Bay's style, which is sexy half dressed women for no apparent reason whatsoever. They're just always running around in short clothes. And right. um You'll you'll see it again later in his career. There's always a strip club scene. It doesn't matter the movie. Armageddon has a strip club scene. I mean, that's how infatuated he is with that. And so he's sneaking that. He's not even sneaking in. He's getting that sexiness in into every scene he can. Sure. I don't think any of the Transformers movies do, though. Yeah, because they're made for Spielberg's company, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And Spielberg wouldn't put up with that, I don't think. Yeah. But, uh, oh, no, Bruckheimer. That's who. Bruckheimer. Bruckheimer who also, Transformers movies? I thought he did. Um, yeah. I don't remember anymore. <laughs> it's hard to remember. Yeah, I didn't like any of the Transformers movies, if it's anybody's guess. Um, so I, I stopped paying attention to what they're doing. Bumblebee's pretty good, by the way. All so right. I would recommend that one. They they ground it around a teenager in the eighties coming of age story. Oh, it works really well for Transformers. Okay. So. All right, so we have the two police officers who are going to recover all these drugs. Uh-huh. 
we have Will Smith, who calls his ex-girlfriend to apparently she'll notice if somebody wasn't rich and is now rich in Miami, which maybe Miami was smaller in the 90s, but that seems (laughs) impractical to me. Yeah, that that is such a such a thin plot or plot tangent. It's just ridiculous. If anybody's throwing money around, it's Miami. Right. Like nobody just shows up in Miami and throws money around ever. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. Um but uh his ex-girlfriend, uh Max and Max's friend Julie get themselves hired as uh like dancers escorts. Yeah, party girls. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, a retired cop who's crooked, basically. Right. Um, And then a murder goes down uh, where the ex-girlfriend gets murdered along with uh, the crooked cop. And there's a French drug boss. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's just chewing the scenery, isn't he? He it was. I didn't know the French were so into heroin in the nineties that they were writing it through Miami. I yeah. missed that yeah, gro- yeah, yeah. growing up then. Well, in, uh, in bad boys too, it's the Russians obsessed with Miami drug scene and it's ecstasy. So it never needs to make sense. Uh, I mean, the whole show Miami vice doesn't make sense. So I guess it's fair. Yeah. All right. So let, let's talk about the first big set piece. The first, you know, action scene, I think, which is the sort of the, uh, the initial intro, right? Well, there's that. Um, I actually remember her name because she's a uh, in Playboy. Amy Boyle, I believe, is the woman that stops them when they're on the street and walks across, and then those two guys try to carjack them. And okay, is that the scene you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of that our introduction to our characters, right? And I think he's, I think he's kind of playing a joke on the audience. Oh. You're racist. You see two black men in a car and you're going to think they're criminals getting victimized. Right. And actually, they turn out to be cops. That's supposed to play with our expectations. But it was the late uh, early 2000s uh, or late 90s. And we were well past that. I don't think the joke works. Oh, right. So we kind of start there and we roll into this. And then uh, we kind of we get to them doing the normal 90s buddy cop movie run down the bad guy while they argue bits. Yes. Yes. Um, And they decide to swap identities at one point. Right. Right. Because uh, Julie won't talk to anybody but the one that knows Max. And I can't even remember. The it's like two- Mike. Mike and Marcus are their yeah, names. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is, right. So she only wants to talk to Mike. So Joe Pataliano, who is the uh, chief of police or the captain or whatever, he says, Martin Lawrence, you go down there and you pretend to be Mike. Do whatever you got to do, but convince her to come talk to us. And so for the rest of the movie, the two of them have swapped places. And now Martin Lawrence is living in Will Smith's gorgeous apartment because he's a trust fund baby, which is just ridiculous too. It's just another contrivance. So Michael Bay can spend a lot of money on, on accoutrement, if you will. Well, and this was the height of uh, fresh Prince of Bel-Air for Will Smith. Right. And Martin Lawrence had his TV show, which I forget the name. I think it was just the Martin Lawrence show. It was, yeah, it was just called Martin. Martin. That's right. Um, and so they were, they were both relatively well-known faces to American audiences. Yeah. Uh, Martin Lawrence has top billing in the first one, believe it or not. 
I, I mean, I, if Will Smith just coming off Fresh Prince, he's probably yeah. not the Will Smith we're used to. So. Yeah. So then we get to halfway through, we get to the first, you know, real big fight scene slash chase, which is there's a fight in a bathroom. Oh, my at a, God. At, at the strip club. Yeah. Which is let's talk about that fight scene. It's almost note for note. One of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's fight scenes, I think, from True Lies. So that really bothered me that it was so unoriginal in that regard. But Martin Lawrence is hilarious in it. So I will give him props for that. Yeah, it's it, it's a fight scene that is sort of technically really weak, but the charisma of Martin Lawrence yeah. holds it higher than it deserves in some senses, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think even for its time period, it was not a strong scene. But I I, I just, I like how it goes down. And I, I, again, Martin's just fantastic in that scene. But that leads yeah. to the chase outside, which is really good. Right, and so we have a car chase. <laughs> right. We have a car mashup. It's almost just throw crap at the screen. But it's the first time we're seeing Michael Bay do this kind of thing. So it is right. it is fun for us, I think, as an audience, because we can't believe how many, many cars they're destroying. It, it sort of uh, presages the Fast and the Furious car chases in a large sense, I think. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. With that sheer dynamic. And, th- and this is where Michael Bay, I think, really sh- shines throughout the movie, is he's very good in these scenes at... Not maybe not keeping the action focused, but keeping the action centered, which I think is a little bit different. Oh, that's an um, interesting point of view. Uh, go on. Uh, it, it's chaotic and it's a mess, but anytime he's diverting, I didn't feel like I was losing the thread. Yeah, it's mm. it's very loud. I mean, you don't have time to absorb what you're seeing or hearing. No, and, and that and that actually works to its benefit. I think you remain centered on sort of the set piece, even though the focus of the characters is gone. Right. The, right. the the pattern is exterior shot um, from the camera in front of the car, uh, exterior shot from the camera behind the car or inside the car, and then the two of them yelling at each other. And that pattern just continues in some sort of chord progression, if it was music, um, throughout the scene. And so you're right. constantly getting various something. crescendos and descendos yeah. up and down. So let's talk about those two of them yelling in the car. <laughs> well, this is what essential bay, right? This is right. two men yelling at each other and neither one willing to back down. They're too prideful. And so somebody's got to get the upper hand in these arguments. Right. And, and, it, and it's interesting in this sort of uh, proto Michael Bay, you know, before he's fully fleshed out Michael Bay. Because you see this, and, and I noticed this, there is an innate sense of pacing in this car chase. Right. That he, the, the more and more spectacular it gets, the more and more he loses his grasp on the pacing. Right. And a lot of that can be fixed in the editing room, right? You, you right. have an opportunity to say, okay, I overdid it. But that's not what they did in the editing room. They just kept it loud. Right. Like it, it starts very well paced when this car, when this halfway through the movie ish car chase starts. Right. And, and the cuts to the front, the back, the inside, they're well timed. The dialogue is just the right amount of dialogue to keep you interested. And then it moves on. 
Right. And then as this goes on, that starts to unravel very quickly. Yeah. Because he's only Why got you... he's only got so many ideas. Right? He he does the same thing. Oh, another canister falls out of the back. Oh, another car gets hit. Oh, another car goes off the side of the road. Because he's shooting this on a on a straight road on one of those long bridges in right. Miami, he can't add anything else to the scene. So it's just a lot of the same right noise. So let let's take this so would you say that the primary drawback of this particular scene is the giant bridge as the central set piece of where it's occurring? I, I think he, it Okay, go ahead. I was gonna say has he bought has he quote unquote boxed himself in on this bridge? Maybe, but I mean wouldn't a good stunt coordinator tell you you're only gonna be able to do so much here? Um is it because they only have so much money to film this movie? Is it because it's its first piece? Um it is it is a certain, certainly a far cheaper movie than budgets for, you know, a normal Michael Bay or Will Smith movie would be nowadays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it was under 20 million back then. Yeah. And so he knows I've got a maybe a week to do this at night. The second unit's going to be doing some of this work. Um he's got to do other stuff with the primary actors. A lot of this is going to be stunt drivers and whatnot. He may not even be there for all of it. And he's just kind of left these guys to their own devices in, in, in some way. And I think you worry about, okay, he's a new young director. I don't want to upset him. Let's just give him what we know chase scenes are supposed to be. Right. So, so we get sort of a cookie cutter chase scene, which I think describes this movie really well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is very much a cookie cutter buddy comedy. Right. Right. For almost all of the things that occur and that, and that formula is elevated by Smith and Lawrence and Leone. Right. Um, even though the formula itself is relatively tropey and generic and they don't really do anything interesting with it. I think when Will Smith is staying at Martin Lawrence's house and he's fucking with him, you know, pretending he's I'm hitting on your wife while I'm staying there. I think that's kind of funny, but yeah, you're right. It, it runs its course and we don't see anything original again michael bay has got two alpha males yelling at each other and neither wants to back down i think if if some of those scenes somebody had said you're right or you know just sort of mumbles under their breath uh in some way to acquiesce passive aggressively you add Mm -hmm. a dynamic that's missing from the buddy cop drama right so we have the big reveal which is the um the office assistant receptionist at the police station is being blackmailed right. by the French drug dealer and the dead crooked officer mm-hmm. because she's the ex girlfriend of the dead crooked officer right and they've got a revenge porn plot going on here yeah again um, that was that was weird it yeah that caught me off guard I remember stopping and going wait what. But hey, I guess nine. I mean, whatever. Nineteen ninety four. I'm guess. I'm guessing that's an artifact of one of the original pat drafts of the script, right? Mm-hmm. And that and that kind of stuff made sense when there was more padding in the sure. front of the other characters, the ensemble. Because well, one of the things you get in this movie is you don't get anybody else really getting to shine. Because right. Ninety percent is Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. But you were going right. to say something. 
Um, yeah, no, you're, I think you're a hundred percent correct with that. Um, it, it's interesting because when I finished watching this movie and I sat back, I went, I feel like the original version of this movie was an exploration of Miami's seedy, like sex trafficking underbelly. Right. Before it became this comedy action movie. Right. Right. I don't know if that's accurate, but that definitely, I got a vibe of there's a second movie happening under here. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of the people that they run into, they run into the guy who played Chris in Sopranos. He's running that tire store slash chop shop. And you can tell that there's a pass with them and there's something dirty under the surface. And because Michael Bay is so glossy, it's it's used as a punchline rather than as some right. grit to give gravitas to what kind of cops they really are. Right. Yeah, so we have the police department shut down. They discover this thing about the office manager. And then we have what is sort of, I think, the part of the movie everybody remembers the most. Which the, is the fantastic action set pieces in the last 20 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's what you watch it for. Once the wife shows up and find out what's going on and they start to the shoot out in the lobby of that apartment building. I think the movie takes off. Right. So I don't know what the time mark is for that, but if we know it, we would tell you where to start just to watch the movie from there. Yeah. uh, We'll, we'll improve this podcast as we get our feet under us and figure out what works. (laughs) We're sort of, uh, we're sort of uh, live testing our format here. So expect changes. So they have this shootout and then they have a, they have a, chase to the airport and at the airport. Yeah. So talk, talk to me about this. This is, you said this is your favorite part of the movie. Why is this your favorite part of the movie? Uh, well, I like the chase, the foot chase on the street with the Bronco and everything. There's that moment where the Bronco almost runs over that stunt man. I don't know how they filmed that. That was amazing. But then they finally figure out, Oh, it's going to be at the old hangar, which is so, Oh, I bet it's at that, hangar at the back of the airport that's such a stupid line just go there we don't need we don't need any more explanation we're in act three of the movie and that's maybe the beauty of what we're doing here with this is once you get to act three just wrap it up just get give me my action climax and wrap it up um they get there they they uh they roll in with that dump truck go crashing (laughs) through the door and that's when chaos reigns and uh, every everything that could go wrong, right, for everybody in this scene goes wrong. The one guy gets electrocuted. The ether, why there's so much ether in a hangar? Anybody's guess. The ether explodes. The plane <laughs> starts to ignite. The guy goes flying backwards with the explosion. The uh, the AC Cobra is inside the plane, so he goes driving it out as fast as he can. And now finally, and we didn't touch on this earlier. Martin Lawrence can't drive in the movie. He's a horrible driver which has been established many times. And now all of a sudden he's behind the wheel of the Porsche 911 and he is, he is focused and he's angry and he's got that little soliloquy, right? It's just so funny to me. He's oh, I'm beating him down. I'm beating him down. And he's just chasing and he's even getting the, uh, you have the right to remain silent out of the way ahead of time. And that's clever. That was, I thought that was creative and I enjoy that. Right. part. And then the, 
there's just these emotional notes that they're finally hitting at the right moment, right? Will Smith is finally given Martin Lawrence up the the congratulation that he deserves. He's been working so hard and getting beat up all movie. And Will Smith gets to look pretty the entire time. Nothing bad happens to him. And so this really is, even though all the setup to this moment isn't very good, this really is a nice cherry that kind of stitches up. What a horrible metaphor. This is a nice cherry that stitches up everything that they've been working for is that little shouting moment in the car. That, that metaphor really got away from you there. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. Um, I think saying a suture, maybe it's a suture moment, but I like how it comes together. I like the sure. uh, the bad guy's got a pepper gun out of nowhere, which I thought was a nice little touch um, because we hadn't seen that gun at all before. So it's got its own, it's got its own panache, if you will. Um, yep, absolutely. I, I don't like Will Smith's dialogue here in the last three, four minutes with the with the french guy that's it's dumb but uh, i've already been paid off the crash is so good and the shootout is so good um yeah you really just need to watch the last 20 minutes of this movie and and ignore the rest so i mean i i think that's a great overview of what happens it it is the part of the movie that is the most tightly paced i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it it definitely sings as it's kind of skipping along there. And you can uh, imagine, right, if they're filming in some kind of semi-coherent order, Michael Bay is getting more confident with what he wants this movie to be, too, by the time right. he gets to the end. Maybe he's been saving up his budgie. Maybe he only has so much left, and I better make this work. Right? right. He's having to make some tough decisions, which he never has to do again. He, When you see movies like The Island and Transformers and Armageddon, there is no let's hold back a little bit. Um, so right. this could be one of those moments where um, where he really is having to make hard decisions and smart decisions. Yeah, his uh, his next movie is The Rock, actually. Which, if I recall, had like a 70 million dollar budget or something, so it's yeah. at least almost three times. And, and it's, it's even dumber than this movie. I think the rock <laughs> is just. Um, so, I mean, so let's, let's grade the movie overall. <laughs> okay. So what w- uh, let's do a letter grade. What would you give it? I'd give it a C. Okay. So average. Yeah. C uh, is our, uh, I guess we should probably come up with a rating. Like how many short sneakers would you give this or <laughs> how something? How many short sneakers would I give this? Oh my God. On a scale of. Raw deal to commando. <laughs> uh, I'd give this uh, I'd give this a last action hero. I'd give this. Oh, I like last action hero. I'd give this a red heat. Okay. Red heat. Fair. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll give this two and a half Stathams. <laughs> two and a half Stathams. I don't oh. know what that means, but we'll establish our parameters here. That's our, <laughs> that should be our name for our podcast. Two and a half Stathams. Two and a half Stathams. Instead of nine and a half weeks, we're two and a half Stathams. <laughs> um, but how would you grade act three of this movie? Because that is, you know, the focal point of our little podcast here. I think in an age where most act threes don't make a lot of sense. And if you recall, in the 80s and early 90s, act threes were horrible, with the exception of Die Hard. Um, I think that this is actually a pretty solid act three. Okay. So, uh, you'd give it an A if I could 
give you. Oh, I would a letter never for... give anything Michael Bay does an A, but I'll give it a B minus. <laughs> all right, all right, a little bit better than the C we averaged. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um. So you know, as we said at the start, I haven't seen this movie. I enjoyed it. Uh. You know, I wasn't upset that I rented it to watch for like three bucks. I don't know if I would ever buy it on DVD. Yeah. I might own it on DVD. I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I, I would never shame anybody who does. You like what you like. Go enjoy it. But I definitely felt like the last third, the act three, was definitely the high point. Yeah. That was that was the time where I was like, oh, I'm going to put my phone down and really like focus in here. Oh. Right. And so, uh, yeah. So what can we learn about storytelling from act three? What are the lessons? Uh, well, the, there there have to be payoffs, right? The, this yeah. is why I I don't want to get on a tangent here, but I don't like Back to the Future 3. I don't like Lord of the Rings 3. I don't think that they pay homage to what you've been building in Acts 1 and 2. Act 3 have to stitch up your loose ends, unless you're planning a sequel. You want to leave one loose end. But they right. also have to, there has to be callbacks. There has to be character growth. Somebody has to learn something. Right. Martin Lawrence finally learning how to drive. That's a fantastic payoff the way they do it, because it's so comical up until that point. And now he's serious. He's gritting his teeth. He's revving that engine. He is he's not even hearing Will Smith in that moment. And so those kind of things is what we can learn from the act. We want to see creative uses of the action. We want to see the guy exploding out of the out of the plane genius nobody's copied it nobody had done it before that was really smart um and then it also has the thing that all movies with lots of cash have which is the suitcases exploding and the money flying everywhere we i think we expect that as an audience members that there's a briefcase full of cash or a suitcase full of cash and it's got to explode the money's got to get loose and the bad guy has to know that's the moment he's screwed right I think that's what we can learn from this act three. Okay. Focus on making sure the payoff is commiserate with act one and two Uh and that the threads that you've started are part of that payoff. Yeah. 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 It's one of the reasons why so many act threes are bad is because they're not tied to anything. All of a sudden Sylvester Stallone's shooting 70 guys from the back of a pickup truck when earlier he was just struggling with two guys. That's, that's not a good act three. I'm talking about Cobra by the way. Um, oh, I assumed you were talking about Rambo. So yeah, there oh, we go. <laughs> yeah. I like the new Ram- the Rambo four, by the way, but that's another episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and by the way, I think we should do uh quantum of solace next because you and I both love that movie and we can uh, quantum we can of ed- solace. We can educate everybody on why it's such a great movie. Oh, all right. Well, so, uh, I mean, one, I agree with that. You'll never catch me saying no to that. I think that is a criminally, underappreciated bond entry. Absolutely. It's my favorite. Uh I, I think Skyfall is my favorite. Um but uh of the Craig ones it would Quantum would be my second. So I also really like No Time to Die. I was a big fan of that. I haven't seen it yet. Still haven't seen it. Oh well then that'll be the one where I'll make you watch it and you haven't seen it and we can talk about it. All right. Um, okay, so episode two will be Quantum of Solace, the 2008-ish Daniel Craig Bond movie. Uh, listeners, you'll find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever fine or crappy podcasts like ours are hosted. Um, I'm Alan Barr. This is Jim Pinto. 
And uh, I guess this is the end of episode one of Act 3. Thanks for tuning in. Woo!